everything on January the 1st. Did anybody make any New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Can anyone remember what their New Year's resolutions were? Is anybody still succeeding at their New Year's resolutions? Easter Sunday is better than New Year's. It carries way more power for a fresh start, for new life, than January the 1st ever does. So I love Easter Sunday. It really is the second chance Sunday. You know, you've heard of the comeback kid. Well, today we're celebrating the comeback king. It's the best day ever. And if you need a fresh start today, or you need to dust off some old intentions and get some new life into them, this is the day for you. Easter Sunday, when Christ rose and he made a new way for each one of us. It's an amazing day. I'm excited. He's excited. A couple of you excited over here. It's a celebration day, right? I'm sure you guys have plans, maybe, after church uh, to kind of hang out with your friends, your family, anyone cooking, anyone got lamb in the oven or got a big dinner planned. My neighbor popped over yesterday. She was begging me. She said, I need some rosemary for my lamb, but my kids have squashed mine with a football, so can I have some of yours? And she's cutting the rosemary out of my garden. We've got plans, right, to hang out, to relax, to eat and drink and be merry and spend time with our family and enjoy celebrating today. Well, you know... There's actually a story in the Bible where Jesus does all of that. Who knows that God is the God of the good times, right? There's a great story in the Bible where Jesus has a party and he's hanging out with his friends and he's relaxing, he's talking, um, and he's having a great time because he's celebrating something. And I want to share that passage uh, with you this morning and kind of see what you think about it. So it's from Luke chapter 5. It'll come up on the screens. I'll read it off the screens too. You guys can follow along. Uh, and I'm taking it from The Voice. Luke chapter 5, verse 33 to 39 says this. Pharisees, explain to us why you and your disciples are so commonly found partying like this when our disciples, and even the disciples of John, are known for fasting rather than feasting and for saying prayers rather than drinking wine. You can imagine them wagging their fingers like this at Jesus and his disciples. And this is what he says in reply. Well, imagine there's a wedding going on. Is that the time to tell the guests to ignore the bridegroom and fast? Sure, there's a time for fasting, but when the bridegroom has been taken away, look, nobody tears up a new garment to make a patch for an old garment. If he did, the new patch would shrink and rip the old, and the old garment would be worse off than before. And nobody takes freshly squeezed juice and puts it into old, stiff wineskins. If he did, the fresh wine would make the old skins burst open, and both the wine and the wineskins would be ruined. You can't quite see it on our screens, but it says there in big, bold letters, new demands new. New demands new. New wine for new wineskins. Anyway, those who've never tasted the brand new wine won't know what they're missing. And they'll always say, the old wine is good enough for me. Let me just pray for us. Father God, thank you that you're here with us. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what you've got to say to us this morning. I believe that there's something specific that you want to speak to every heart and mind here this morning. Help us get a hold of it. Help us change. Help us be new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A couple of years ago, I decided to put myself through teacher training. I deserve a medal just for getting through it, I think. I did secondary school teacher training. I I learned to be an English teacher in a comp over in Bladen. And about halfway through the year, we got this kind of information from the government that they were going to change the way that they graded GCSE papers, okay? 
So instead of using the normal grades, the, the letters, like A, B, C, D, and so on, they were going to swap the system and use numbers instead, numbers one to nine, excepting that nine would be low and one would be high, or is it the other way around? One would be high and nine would be low, that's it. It was so confusing, I still can't even remember it now. And all the kids went into a bit of panic, okay? And they were all obsessed with like figuring out this new system. It didn't even come in until a year or so later, but I had so many conversations with my pastoral class and so many conversations after lessons and so many kids would catch me after um, classes in the corridor and they'd say, Miss, so help me figure it out. If I want to get a B, what number do I need to get now? Is it a nine or is it an eight or is it a seven? Or is it? And they were getting really confused with trying to work out what the new system was according to what the old system already was. And I got fed up after a while of having these conversations because they were kind of distracting and you know, my head was a bit full of it. So I felt really bad because one kid came up to me um, at the end of the day. I was trying to get home to pick my kids up from nursery and he said, so just remind me, miss, if I want to get a C, what number do I need to get? And like, honestly, inside, I wanted to explode at him, but that would be really unprofessional and unfair. So I didn't explode, but I did get a little bit, you know, existential. I went a bit matrix on him, and I was like, looked into his eyes, and I was like, listen, child, there is no more C. C will cease to exist. C is but a figment of your imagination. Let the C go. <laughs> and I went off to pick my kids up from nursery, I think... At the end of the day, it's understandable. You know what teachers are like by that time of the day. But you know, that's kind of what Jesus is saying in this passage to the Pharisees. He's saying, guys, the old way has gone. The way that you've always done things does, is ceasing to exist anymore. Because I'm here, because I represent a new way of doing things, because I represent grace, because I represent resurrection, all of that's gone. So stop trying to work out what I mean according to your old system. I'm new and new demands, new, new demands, a new system. There's another way I thought about it, a bit like um, going on holiday, right? Everyone likes to go on holiday. Maybe you've got holiday plans this year already. Anyone booked anything yet? A few people? Yeah, okay. So if you're blessed enough to be able to go on holiday somewhere where they use different money... You know how it goes, right? So you take your 300 quid, your spending money, and you take it to Marxies or the post office or wherever you're going with it, and you give them your 300 great British pounds, and they give you back uh, 425-ish dollars, it might be, if you're going that way, um, or for about 340-something euros, if you're going the other way, uh, and you put them in your little travel wallet, and if you're anything like our family, they get zipped in a special pouch that you hide under your T-shirt. And, uh, or I think for my dad, uh, we're pointing at my dad, before he went on the Mongol rally, we bought him a fake baked bean tin, like the bottom screwed off it, and you could like stash your money in there and then put it in the boot of the car. So you've got your new currency. And you, you land, maybe you've managed to take a plane there and the door opens and that hot air hits you and the smell of the new country and you're like, this is it, we're living the dream, we're going to kick back, we're going to relax, we've left the, left the problems in the office, I've left the kids with the grandparents, if you're lucky. Uh, <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> you know, I've left my old life, my old cares behind, we're just going to relax, we're going to forget it all and we're going to have a great time together. But what I find often happens in that situation is anytime it comes to spending money, anytime you have to rummage around in your baked bean tin or unzip your little special person, get out the new currency, your mind does this thing where it keeps trying to work out 
what the new item costs in the old money. So even like a pint of milk, you're like, okay, well, this is it's so many euros. Oh, what would that be in pounds? Or am I getting a good deal here? Or you just can't help it. You keep trying to work out what everything costs uh, in your old money, even though you've gone there with the new currency. And eventually, instead of switching off, you get a bit mentally exhausted by this kind of constant transactional con conversion that's going on uh, in your mind. So um, towards the end of the holiday, maybe you've managed to book yourself a beautiful beachfront restaurant. Have you ever seen any of those in a magazine or been to one? And, you know, it's kind of on the, on the there's a terrace and it looks over the sea and uh, you can hear the waves kind of lapping and the sun setting and the light is gorgeous and obviously your skin looks amazing in this glowing sunset. And uh, you've ordered this beautiful meal and you sat down opposite your husband and he looks up at you and he smiles and uh, he says, so I wonder how much all this would have cost uh, back in the UK then. He says, uh, you know, how much is your glass of wine? How many euros was that? I wonder what that would be. Is that a good deal? Is it cheap? Is it really cheaper over here? And you're like, oh, but I'm going to keep the peace because it's beautiful and it's romantic and he's going to get through it and it'll all be okay. So uh, you kind of just smile through gritted teeth and eventually he kind of gives up on it and uh, the moment moves on and he looks up at you and then he gives you a big smile and you think, finally, he's realised how gorgeous I look in the sunlight, right? This is... This will make an amazing Facebook profile picture. And if you're anything like me, I'm always begging my husband to take photos that I exist in. If you look back through my photo albums, I'm not in any photos. I don't even belong to my family in half of them. It's just I take all the photos, right? You wouldn't know I was there. So I'm always saying to him when we go on holiday, oh, please remember to take a photo of me and the kids too. Please remember that I'm on the holiday. And this is the moment, you know, because he looks up at you and he says, go on then. Give, give me your camera. And you're like, yes, he's remembered to take a photo of me, and this is going to look good online. And so you pass him your um, phone, and of course, all he wants is a calculator app, because he is still, in fact, still working out what your glass of wine would cost if you were back in England. Now, this is totally hypothetical, right? This... <laughs> it is! My husband's a banker. He doesn't need a calculator. He can do it all, all in his head. There's no need for my phone. Now, the challenge with this is that I see in this passage a bit of the same happening in our lives with our relationship with God. Sometimes we, we only want a bit of God, like a breakaway, a bit of a weekend away, and we think, right, well, I'm gonna, I need a bit of God in my life right now, so um, I'm, I'm going to get hold of a little bit of him. But we experience some of God, but instead of kind of giving ourselves into that experience, releasing ourselves into that moment, we spend time mentally trying to work out how we can convert what we know of God back into our old lifestyles. And we're kind of thinking, okay, well, I know this about God. How can I fit that in with the way that I still want to keep living my life? And we can be doing that years into our faith, years into our Christian faith. We can find ourselves knowing a lot about God and knowing how things should work, having access to the currency but still trying to figure out how can we kind of shoehorn that back or how can we convert that back into a lifestyle that I'm more comfortable with. So I was trying to think of some examples that maybe we've come across or in our own lives or in other people's lives. It might be that you've decided to explore God and you commit to coming to church uh, every Sunday, but you're not going to maybe join a city group or invest too much in relationships or friendships at church because you might change your mind you, or you might have a change of heart. And actually, it's better to keep your options open and not have too many connections that you have to break um, if you decide that this church or this faith isn't for you. Or um, maybe you've decided that you're going to follow God, but actually, you know, we can close our minds to the things that Jesus says in the Bible that challenge us. You know, when, when, the, when a 
discipleship leader or a, a city group leader or a friend or someone else who's got faith says, oh, you might want to think about doing things a bit differently. No, you're not prepared for that. And you kind of close your mind off to that. And you don't receive kind of the new things that God might have for you. And uh, this is a bit awkward because you might be totally into God, but really not like the way that a particular preacher talks about God. I really hope that's not me because that could be totally awkward. But maybe you've had that moment where you're sitting in church and you're thinking, oh, I like God and I, and I know you're talking about God, but I do not like the way you're talking about him. I don't like the things that you're saying about him. And you're listening along, but really you're kind of converting it back into terms that you're more comfortable with, almost like reinterpreting it according to your own kind of filter and what you think is better. But that's not how God works. What did he say in that passage? Jesus said, new demands new. Why don't you find a friend, look them deep in the eye and say, new demands new. New demands new. New demands new. You know, you can't have new numbers and turn them into old letters. It's not about turning new money uh, into old money because new demands new. And like we were singing about this morning, the cross represents a total exchange. It's not a part exchange. It's not a conversion. It's a complete exchange. You know, we get to leave behind all of our old stuff, all of our old mistakes, all of our old lives, all of our kind of pain and anger and fear uh, and frustration. And we get instead God's best life for us. We get Christ alive in us. We get his freedom, his peace, his love, his kindness, his light. You know, we get a much better life and a new way. You know, a relationship with God requires a relocation. A relationship with God requires a relocation. You know, maybe today you might be thinking, what is all the fuss about? What is she going on about? Maybe you haven't really tasted that new life that Jesus offers. And maybe you don't know what you're missing yet. And this morning might be your opportunity to ask God to to help you kind of let go of the things that hold you back from experiencing that better way and get a hold of the new life that God's got for you this morning. Amen. So I love design. Anyone that's spent any time with me knows that I I love kind of graphics um, and I love architecture and I love photography. I really enjoy that kind of expression of creativity. And I I found a really cool um, series, like a mini-series on Netflix. Has anyone seen it? It's called Abstract. Maybe I've talked to a few of you about it before. It's called Abstract. It's like kind of six episodes long. Um, and it talks about, um, it follows like a photographer, a set designer, a car designer, um, a shoe designer, the guy that worked with Michael Jordan. It's a really cool series. Um, and my favorite one so far um, has been one about a guy called Bjark Ingels. Bjark Ingels. Has anybody heard of Bjark Ingels? What a name. It's so pleasing to say it. It's Danish. I want to be Danish. Bjark Ingels. Okay, he's an architect. Could you have guessed that from his name? He's a very young architect, uh, and he's a bit of a controversial architect, but he has made a big name for himself, and they dedicated like a whole kind of episode of this Netflix thing to this guy called Bjark Ingels, and he formed the big group, the Bjark Ingels group. I mean, how awesome is that? I love it. And what he does is he ch- he's, he's really focused on challenging people's perceptions or challenging the industry's perceptions on affordable social housing and kind of shared community spaces. Um, and he's done a huge amount of work in that area. And kind of the big group's motto, I suppose, if they had one, would be to kind of change the world brick by brick and make it a better place. So on the screen, you can see a picture of some kind of um, shared apartment blocks that they made with these amazing terraces that connect people but give you a view and catch the sun. It's 
Really great. Please look him up. Really awesome guy. So many great buildings. Uh, that's, I could do a whole morning on the big group. Maybe they'll invite me back one day, and I'll just do that. And uh, in, the, um, in the Netflix series, he talks about how he gets hold of an idea and how it becomes a reality for him. And he says, well, you know, you get the brief in, and he starts to think. He just thinks. And an idea will kind of come into his mind. And the idea in his mind, he can, he's turning around. He's sort of generating a model in his mind. And he might do some sketches. And before long, he cannot conceive of a world in which this building doesn't exist. He cannot conceive of a world in which this building isn't there. It's amazing. He's changed the world and just in his mind. And you know, whether or not people get his vision later on down the line, for him, it's a done deal. This building exists. It's happened. It's going to be there. It's done. You know, I think Jesus is even better than Bjark Ingalls, but he operates on the same kind of principle, you know? Jesus knew the cross was coming. Jesus knew all the terrible, like, suffering that would come with the cross, but he could not conceive of a world in which grace did not exist. You know, and he existed day by day. You know, he challenged perceptions of the time too, didn't he? But every moment he walked, knowing that it was a done deal, that as he approached the cross, he was going to get through it and he was going to rise again. It was a done deal for him, even before he got to the cross, that grace would be in the world. And he changed it once and for all. Whether or not you believe in Jesus, whether or not you are on board with his vision, he did do it. He entered, he, uh, he made a way for grace to enter the world. He made a way for us to connect back with God again. And it is a done deal and we can receive his new life because of what he did for us on the cross and he's so excited even as he approaches the cross Jesus is excited about what's coming you know if I knew that was coming to me I would not get out of bed for most of the mornings of my life knowing what's happening but somehow Jesus managed to walk his life day by day knowing that the cross was coming but with an atmosphere of like celebration with an atmosphere of life you know with a kind of an open heart for all people that's why we find him in this passage with the disciples they're having a party you know they're having a great time even though he knows the cross is coming he knows that it will bring grace back into the world and that for him is enough for him to celebrate every single day of his life even as it got closer and closer to the cross he was able to celebrate he was able to have a great time because he was able to say to his disciples look whatever happens it's all going to get new everything's going to change I'm going to change the world grace is going to come back you're going to be able to connect with God again everything's going to be brilliant I'm bringing grace back it's a done deal but in the story, we read like about the Pharisees. Does anyone know who the Pharisees are? A few nods. Okay, the Pharisees are like the religious leaders of the time. And we might describe them for the purposes of this morning as like the party poopers, maybe. They're like, oh, you shouldn't be partying. Oh, you shouldn't be drinking wine. Oh, you shouldn't be having a good time. Oh, you shouldn't be doing it like this if you were really, uh, really God's son. If you were really a religious leader, you would be fasting, not feasting. You would be um, mourning, not celebrating. You know, they, make, they, bring the, they bring the party down, right? And what was on our flyer, our invitation this morning? Heaven parties hard. Well, these guys are like the opposite. They wanted to put a lid on Jesus. They wanted to put a lid on his party. And because they didn't believe in Jesus... They didn't get his vision. They couldn't receive grace. They couldn't receive his new life that he offered. So if they couldn't receive that, they were stuck with, they couldn't receive the new, they were stuck with the old, right? If they couldn't have the new life Jesus was offering, they had to operate under the old life. And we call that the law. Was that a, no. The law? No? Anyone? 
That was my best lawful voice there. I don't get more. That's the voice I pull out when the kids are really naughty. You're in trouble. <laughs> no, not scaring you guys. They were under the law. Now, the law was God's best way back in yesteryear of helping his people uh, become clean enough to be in a relationship with him again. But it was broken, it was flawed, it wasn't working, and that's why he had this glorious plan B, Jesus, who would make a much uh, more free and welcoming way for everyone to connect with God again. And the law involved um, like rituals, it involved um, kind of intense, uh, intense rules. You have to do things at a particular time, in a particular way. It was really heavy and, and really intense. You had to take like baths at particular times. I would have been awful at that. You'll normally find me around about 7 o'clock in the evening at the top of my stairs, scratching my head, trying to remember the last time my children encountered water. Um, and whether or not it's hygienic enough to miss a bath again or whether it's time for a bath. But they had to take all this stuff, do it all at like particular times. And, you know, it was hard work, right? It was hard work keeping up with that, all those laws and um, requirements on them. And the Pharisees are still living like this. Now, what do we know about people that do hard work? What I know, or what my phone tells me, or what Instagram definitely tells me, is that when people put hard work and effort into something... They like to be rewarded. And the way they like to be rewarded, I mean, that's this too, the way we like to be rewarded is through recognition, okay? It's through the little heart button that you press to say, yay, you did it. So maybe I've done like an elaborate craft with the kids. It's taken hours. What do I do? I take a picture and I put it on Instagram. I, I, my hard work is out there for everyone to recognize. And what do I get? I get the rewards because people press the hearts and I'm like, yay, people saw what I did. And you get that good rush of like, yay, I've been rewarded for my work. Is that just me? You're all so quiet. <laughs> I've either bought like conviction upon you all, you're going to be deleting Instagram, or you're like, nah, Insta, what now? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like someone, maybe you scroll through your phone and someone's taken ages preparing like a really fancy meal, and what do they do before they eat it? They take a picture of it, you know? Man, the amount of meals that must go cold in people's houses as they perfectly arrange the work surface and like take this perfect picture. By the time they eat it, it's probably like cold and rubbish and congealed. But you know, it looked good. And that's the kind of culture that the, uh, the Pharisees were setting up for themselves. And Jesus calls them on it. He says, look, I know what your motivation is. Your motivation isn't to create a culture of closeness to God. You're not creating an atmosphere where people can draw close to him. You're creating an atmosphere of um, judgment and pressure and like really high um, standards that people can't keep up with. You've got wrong self-expectations. You've got way too high expectations of other people. And instead of this... Um, atmosphere of being close to God. We've got this kind of keeping up with appearances atmosphere kind of thing where you're doing everything in this big showy way. You're praying like this and you're bathing like that and you're telling us all off for not doing it alongside you. But all you're really doing is um, doing it to get recognition. You're not doing it because you love God. You just want people to reward you for all your hard work. And that's the old way of doing things. The law is heavy. And we don't want to live in a culture where we're judged for everything we do, where we feel judged, where we've set too high expectations for ourselves and we feel like we're failing against them or there are the wrong standards at work in our lives and we feel like we can't keep up with them because what happens to everybody in that story that wasn't fasting um, and wasn't doing the, all the rituals like the Pharisees they were being judged by them the Pharisees were coming along and saying like well you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be doing that how do you think they felt how do you think Jesus' disciples felt panicked maybe that they were getting it wrong maybe they felt like inadequate like they weren't good enough 
Maybe they felt left behind, like the Pharisees had discovered the secret success to life and they couldn't access it. It doesn't create an atmosphere that it, people enjoy being in, you know, and we've got to be so careful ourselves too, haven't we, that we don't get swept up in that culture of setting ourselves wrong standards based on what we see other people doing. Am I right? A few nods, yeah? That culture was so strong in the time of Jesus and the Pharisees, it's still here today. You know, we can still feel the effects of that now. I mean, it's easy to do, right? And you can do it with the best intentions, but very quickly your motivations can slide. So I have, um, I have a vegan friend who makes the most amazing gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, did I miss any of the other things? Free radical-free? It's free of everything, you know, and this is her lifestyle and her skin looks amazing. And, you know, you can go around to her house for dinner and you can come back and be like, oh, I should really cut out gluten. I should really make sure I never eat sugar again. I really need to make sure that I, too, um, switch to soy milk or almond milk, whatever. I must live like that now, because that's clearly a better way to do things. Or maybe, um, this has happened to Ben before, he's gone, he's gone to work, and one of his colleagues has said, oh, like, how's your weekend? And Ben's been like, yeah, it's great, we hung out with the kids, we like, whatever, we, I don't know, watched a movie, we went for a little walk down by the park, how's your weekend? And this guy's like, yeah, I smashed my personal best for the Ironman triathlon. <laughs> and uh, Ben's like, comes home, and he's like, I love you, honey, but we must do some sit-ups tonight. <laughs> We really should start running again, you know, because he's seen somebody else doing something and we think that that's better and that's what success looks like. And we let it create standards in us that aren't right for us and aren't right for that time of our lives. Or maybe um, your sister's found a Montessori school for her kid and now you want to find a place for your kid because that looks like a better, more creative education. Or your brother's better dressed than you and you always feel inadequate when you hang out together. Or maybe you're foolish enough to follow those people on Instagram that are like, you know, the fitness nuts that travel the world and do like Pilates in impossible places on like the top of Mount Everest and stuff like that. Don't follow those people. If you've got any of them on your phone, go home this afternoon and click unfollow as often as you can. It is liberating and wonderful, I promise you. Maybe you've got a neighbor with a new car or like even worse, maybe they've got one of those zero emission cars and they're making you feel like really guilty about your impact on the environment, you know? Don't let what you see set wrong standards in your life. That's the old way of doing things. That's the law. And what does Jesus say? I've got a new way for you. I've got a releasing way for you. I've got grace, not standards. And he describes that kind of lifestyle, those kind of people like old wineskins, like all shriveled up and dried up. That's very attractive. Thank you, Lord. Uh, or, you know, an old garment that's like all worn out and kind of just exhausted probably with the effort of trying and trying and trying and trying again to be something that it's not meant to be. It's kind of worn a patch, worn a hole. It's the old wineskin that's maybe prone to shattering um, or breaking or tearing away. We don't want to live like that. Not when there's something new available for us. Not when there's a better way that Christ won for us. So, you know, in the interest of self-disclosure, I feel I have to tell you this story. What would a message be without a bit of honesty from a girl who got it really wrong? So, I have a friend, just one. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got a friend. We grew up next door to each other um, when I lived down south. And until uh, we were sort of seven or eight, but we stayed in touch beyond that. And she was like my best friend. She was Miss Hannigan to my Annie. She was Snow White and I was always the dwarf now that I think about it. Uh, but we were, you know, we were really good friends. And um, she still lives down south, and she lives quite near where Ben's family live. Um, and we've kind of loosely stayed in touch. And I said to Ben one Christmas, hey, 
on the way back from your parents' house, it would be so nice if we could like, stop off and see my friends that I haven't seen in so long. I'd really enjoy the opportunity to kind of connect again. Now, she has got a glamorous lifestyle, okay? She's got, like, nice car, nice house, like, everything looks really nice. She's got, like, a really nice lifestyle. So uh, this is where I have to be honest and self-disclose to you. That morning, I chose my most expensive-looking outfit. <laughs> and I really spent time doing hair and makeup that morning. You know, I, like, I, I guess I felt under pressure to, me to measure up, really. And uh, we... We drove off to, to visit her, and on the way there, my heart was probably not in the right place for this visit. My motivation was probably not the best motivation as I went to visit her. And do you know what God did? He completely called me on it. You know, he like shone the torch right on that bit of my heart that was a bit like comparative, a bit jealous maybe. And he said, uh -uh. and he caused my daughter, I still blame God, to throw up all over the car. <laughs> She'd, uh, she'd just eaten a big meal, and up it all came. And uh, so Ben swerves over onto the hard shoulder in the motorway. She's still being sick as I pick her up, and I carry her out onto the hard shoulder. And I mean, this stuff gets everywhere. It's all over the car. It's all over my hair. It's raining. My makeup's like this. You know, I've got chunks of stuff in these carefully crafted ringlets that I made that morning. My clothes are covered. Now, I, I have another thing to to disclose to you this morning. I have like this phobia of plastic bags. A few of you know this. I just really dislike plastic bags. When they're packed full of stuff and they look like they might burst, they just panic me, okay? <laughs> I find it really distressing. So I generally try and avoid that kind of experience. But uh, most of our stuff was covered in my child's vomit. So we had to scrabble around and find the few plastic bags that we could and like put all the old put the stuff in there that was all smelly in there. And so as you can imagine, I ring the doorbell uh, and <laughs> my friend <laughs> opens this gorgeous front door, which is, um, you know, it's got loads of curb appeal, there's things next to it and all that. She opens the front door, and I'm stood there with bulging plastic bags <laughs> full of smelly things. I'm holding my child, who is naked apart from a pair of grubby pants. My hair is full of sick, and my, there's makeup all over my face, and I look awful, and I smell even worse. <laughs> and I'm like... Hi! Can I? Um, and I had to humbly beg her for a shower for myself, a bath for my children, whether we could both scrounge a pair of pajamas off her. And Ben spent most of the visit in their fancy utility room scrubbing out car seats and clothes and like, oh, it was just horrific. And I did not even make it onto her Instagram feed that day. I was, I was gutted. I can see why she didn't post a picture of me. It was a bit of a fright. But. You know, she'd be gutted, to be honest, if she thought that she put that kind of pressure on me. She's a really lovely person. There was no way she would ever expect me to, to feel like that or want me to feel like that. It was self-made. It came from within me. It was something that was wrong inside of my heart and my life. And yeah, God called me on it. And as I got back in the car at the end of this visit, which still stank, and we still had 250 miles to go north again, I thought, you know what? I could feel really inadequate right now. I could feel really rubbish. And like, I did anything but measure up. I've just made everything worse, and she's going to think I'm terrible. But I realized straight away, you know, this isn't, this isn't the right measuring system. This isn't the right value system. This isn't how God thinks of me. Of course I'm not inadequate. God has made me so adequate. You know, I was obsessing over the wrong things. I was obsessing over material things, you know, external things. And that's just not how God does 
does things. You know, that's not how God measures us. It was like, I went in with pounds, but God was giving out the pesos, right? It's like, I wanted a letter, but God wanted to give me a number. You know, because the world says, it's so important how you look. It's so important how you appear. It's so important what's on the outside. But God says, it's so important what's happening on the internal parts of your life. It's so important your heart how your heart is. It's so important how your character is. It's the internal that matters to God. And when our internals are made right, when things inside of us are made right with God, you know, everything else is right. And we don't need to measure ourselves according to the old value system because we've got a new life, a new way of being measured, a new way of being uh, experiencing grace, a new way of feeling about ourselves because God feels about us according to the new life that God gives us. You know, so maybe today you're just feeling a bit like, whoa, maybe that's, maybe that's landed with you this morning. And I just encourage you, like I said at the start of this message, it's Second Chance Sunday. So if there's part of you that signed up to the old system, like this is the day to just let it go, to sign out of that way of measuring your life, measuring your success, measuring your self-worth. You know, you can switch over to God's new life, the new life Jesus is offering us, the new value system this morning. And you can start again because it's Easter and everything starts again at Easter. Amen? So, yeah. Plastic bags, right? God seems to love to nail me on this one. Because a few weeks ago, I found myself with more plastic bags, bulging with more of my possessions, because our boiler broke. And uh, we had to move back into my mom's house while we waited for it to get fixed. Thank the Lord she wasn't there. Because um, <laughs> there were no spare bedrooms, so it would have been like a like an extreme sleepover, all of us in my mum and dad's bedroom. But they were in Miami, so it was fine. There was a bit of space we could squeeze in. And, um, and that, that in itself was a lesson. You know, I was thinking, man, your house, I love my house. I think my house is beautiful. My house is a blessing from the Lord, and I like it all. I like all the things in it. But was, even as we were moving out, I was thinking, man, things can look pretty on the outside, but if there's no warmth inside, nobody wants to be there, right? If your insides are cold, uh, but the outside looks pretty. Nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to spend there. You want to pack up and move back to your mom's. And my mom is very warm. She's the queen of warmth. She got back from uh, Miami yesterday and she'd walked in the door and my daughter Stella crawled up in her lap and she just stayed there for an hour. Just, not, just very happy, just sat on her lap, cuddled in. My mom's amazing. You want to be near my mom because she's a warm woman. She's got the life of God on the inside. So we abandoned my house. But the, the, the story started a couple of weeks before that when Ben noticed a drip coming from the boiler, and I'm so blasé, I'm like, it handles water, of course it's going to drip. Or like, I was like, Ben, maybe it's just sad, maybe it's lonely, maybe we just need to cuddle it, maybe it's boiler tears, and a bit of a stroke, and it'll, it'll be fine. So Ben was like, mm-hmm, uh, and he called the boiler company, and they sent this guy out, and he looked at the boiler, and he said, oh yeah, all right, I see what the problem is, you've got a kind of a tube or a pipe coming off the diverter valve, and it's leaking. So um, I'm just going to fix the tube, and that'll stop the leak. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so we did that. And a few days, maybe, Ben says, mm, I think it's still dripping. And I said, no, that'll just be water from the old leak still making its way out, right? That's why It's fine. That's just still connected to the, old, the last time it broke. Give it a chance. It'll be fine. And Ben's like, mm-hmm. And uh, he calls the boiler company again. Um, no, he said he wanted to call the boiler company again, but shame on me, I talked him out of it. And uh, a couple of days later, we come downstairs, and the house is cold, and the boiler is stone-cold dead. 
This time, it's completely died. There's, no, there's nothing on the display. There's no signs of life. Everything's gone. This boiler has kind of bitten the dust, as it were. And uh, we had to call the boiler guy out again. And, and what had happened is that by fixing the kind of the hole in the tube that's coming off the diverter valve, he'd, he'd sort of closed up a pressure outlet, as it were. Um, but there was a much bigger problem lurking in the rest of the system. And what happened is the diaphragm in the kind of the main expansion vessel went, um, and then the whole system was so overpressurized that without that little drip to let it out down at the bottom, the metal on the bottom of the expansion vessel actually burst. So water came flooding out um, of the expansion vessel, and it flooded the PCB. Both circuit boards went. I spent a lot of time talking to boiler companies. I am now fully conversant in plumb. And I'm proud of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And the whole thing was broken, you know? This, thing, this boiler had gone, and we needed a brand new boiler. You know, bolting a new part onto the old system didn't work. It just caused the whole boiler to break even further. You know, if Jesus was a heating engineer when he walked the earth instead of a carpenter, I'm pretty sure he would tell us a similar story about our lives. You know, when we try and tinker with a system or when we just try and sprinkle a little bit of faith into a broken system, it doesn't work. Or if we just try and um, put a patch on an old problem, but don't go and really fix the fundamentals of the problems that are in our hearts and lives, they st we still break. Our lives still break. You know, you can't just mess around with this bit and hope it solves the fundamental problems that are happening under the surface. You know, you can't just... You guys know this, right? You can't just come to church on a Sunday uh, and then get cross with God that he didn't solve all of your problems and all of your woes because church on a Sunday isn't really giving God the opportunity to get into your life and get into your heart and really fix you and really sort it out. You know, when there's pressure on the inside, when there's pressure in our lives, when there's pressure in the system, you can't just tinker around on the outside and hope it all goes away. You've got to let God really get a hold of your life. And if Jesus was a heating engineer, he'd say, look, guys, what I can do for you is a brand new boiler, completely new boiler. I'm not going to mess around with trying to fix this bit and sellotape that bit and tinker with that bit. I'm going to give you a brand new boiler, and I'm going to give you a brand new boiler free of charge, and I'm not even going to charge you the installation fee. Because that's how good God is. You know, he wants to give you something brand new, completely free of charge, that makes everything better. You know, God doesn't try and pour his new life into our old, broken lives and sit back and expect it to work. God gives us a brand new life to, to hold and to contain the new life that he's pouring out for us this morning. That's what he said, you know, new demands new, new wineskins for new life or a, uh, a new garment instead of trying to patch the old one. Now, I have to do a little bit of Googling about how wine works. I know less about wine than boilers now, it turns out. And what happens with wine is that as you pour it into a vessel, it starts to expand as it ferments. And um, so you need to pour it into something that's got space for it to grow and for it to create that kind of gas and whatever else goes on in there. It needs space. And that is a great picture of our lives. When God gives us new life, when God gives us a new heart, when he gives us a new life, he doesn't just leave us like that. There's an expansion that happens. He stretches our capacity. He deepens our abilities. He widens the scope of our dreams. You know, he develops us. 
us and he takes us further. And we need to have something that has capacity for that. Because if we try and pour all of that new life, that new way of doing things into the old shriveled wineskins or the old life, we just interpret that as pressure and we crack under it. We don't understand the grace that is available for us to live this new life with God's help. You know, that's why we need a supple life. That's why we need to be flexible. That's why we need to have the ability to absorb that, that process that happens when we accept Jesus. Because we don't want to be confined by our old lives. We don't want to miss out on the things that God's got for, God has got for us because we're still clinging on to the old ways of doing things that won't bend and stretch and make space for God to do a new thing in our lives. Because if you don't do that, you're just trying to mix two opposite things. And what happens? There's a damaging split eventually. The, the pressure of trying to bring together two opposite ways of thinking, two opposite ways of behaving, two opposite ways of feeling causes a fracture and a split in your life. I'm going to steal this from my dad. So this, this quote is courtesy of Pastor Clive circa 2008. And he said this, I think on an Easter Sunday morning as well, so it's a great quote for today. He said, Jesus doesn't just give us a new start in life. He gives us an entirely new life to start. Isn't that amazing? Do you want to say that with me? Let's say it together. Jesus doesn't just give us a new start in life. He gives us an entirely new life to start. Isn't that amazing? That's a great place, I think, for us to respond from this morning. So why don't you stand with me as we finish? Let's respond to what God's saying to us today. You know, new demands new. And today is the day of new life, of a risen Savior, amen? Of a new world order, of grace over law, of life over death. You know, the deal is done. You know, the new life is available for us here today. You know, Jesus said in that parable, once you've experienced the new life, you can't go back to the old way of living. You don't want to go back to that thin old juice and that squeezed old lifestyle and that pressure and that confining way of doing things, that law, that heaviness, that judgment, that expectation. That's not what I've got for you. I've got something totally, totally new for you and you don't want to go back. Have you ever... Um, been to hospital to visit first-time parents, like a mom and a dad that just had a baby, it's their first baby, and you get there and everyone's like celebrating the new life, and everyone's like, yay, the new baby, new life. Um, I've done that, and uh, you kind of look over, if you've had kids for a little while, you kind of catch the eye of your husband, and you both have a knowing, wise nod and a smile, because you're thinking, I know you're all excited about this new life, but you guys are going to need new lives too, right? This new life represents new life for all of you. You can't bolt a baby onto your old lifestyles, your old way of doing things. You can't take a baby home and be like, whoa, let's go to the cinema then. Because babies, like, they have literally zero toleration or appreciation for impossible missions, and they don't even like minstrels, which is maybe good for Ben because he gets more. But, you know, you can't bolt a baby onto your old way of doing things. You can't take a baby to work and leave it in your gym bag under your desk and then down tools at 5 p.m. and be like, all right, kid, off to the gym. They don't let babies in gyms, people. And also, babies don't like staying quiet and small uh, in, little in little spaces and places. You can't bolt a baby onto your new life because new demands new and new life demands a new lifestyle you know maybe today you want to experience this new life for the very very first time maybe you've never accepted it maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and we're going to pray a prayer all together in a moment that opens the way for God to be um, in your heart opens the way for Jesus to bring a new life into your old life or maybe today you just need to receive 
that God is here to lavish His grace upon you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while, but if you think about it, there's some old ways of thinking and doing things that are holding you back and are kind of constricting you and not giving you the opportunity to develop in your faith in the way that God has for you. And this morning, we're going to make a declaration where we say, hey, I'm going to choose to leave that behind this Easter. If Christ is risen, He's risen for me. If Christ has defeated death, He's defeated my old lifestyle. And I can start again this morning in a better way with His new life and do things in a new way. So let's, let's pray together. The first prayer is like a salvation prayer, really, for people that want to accept that new life for the first time. And I'm going to ask us to say it all together, because so many of us in this room have said this for the first time, and maybe it felt a little bit scary, maybe it felt a bit unusual, but so many people in this room have said it. And we all say it together again. It's like a sign of kind of solidarity that we're with you. You're doing something awesome. We've done it, and it's changed our lives. And if you have prayed that prayer for the first time, I just love you. Jane, would you wave a hand there? Jane there in the blue blazer. She's got a free gift she wants to give you and just pray with you and give you a hug. So if you've come with a friend or a family member or you're just sitting next to someone that looks quite nice, grab them by the arm, take them over to hang out with Jane. She's going to take you out for an early coffee. She'll help you bump the queue. Um, and she's going to give you a gift and just explain to you what it is that you've done this morning and how, how we can help you in this new life that Christ has given you. And after we've done that, we're going to say a declaration together if you want to that puts God right at the start of our Easter weekend that says new demands new and I'm choosing Jesus' new life this morning for myself. So let's say the prayer together. Lord Jesus, today I choose to leave my old life behind. I'm sorry for going my own way and I ask for your grace to forgive me. I want to experience your new life better life that lasts for eternity. Amen. And if you've said that for the first time, now's your moment to head out with Jane and find out more about what that means and get hold of some stuff that can really help you with that. And for the rest of us, let's stay in the room and let's just make this declaration together if you want to. If this has spoken to you today, if you're ready to let some old stuff go, if you want to start a new life with Christ and kind of get rid of some of those habits and hang-ups and hurts and behaviours that have been holding you back. Let's say this declaration with that intent and spend our weeks really looking for Jesus' new life. I'll read it to you first and then you can say it with me. It says, This Easter I choose to leave behind all my old ways of thinking, feeling and doing and instead I want to be transformed by the new life Jesus has for me because it is better in every way. Should we say that together? This Easter I choose to leave behind all my old ways of thinking, feeling, and doing. Instead, I want to be transformed by the new life Jesus has for me because it is better in every way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Grab your seat again.